Welcome to Trending Health, where we provide you with valuable insights and perspectives on the evolving healthcare industry. Brought to you by Dynamic, Trending Health explores industry topics that are real, relevant, and worth discussing. I'm your host, Jen Burke. Advancements in technology have enabled the virtualization of channels across the healthcare ecosystem. Telehealth continues to gain in popularity, clinical trials are being managed through remote patient monitoring, and physician detailing is happening digitally. With the rise of digital natives as the next generation of healthcare leaders and consumers, it seems virtualization really is the new now. I'm here with Dynamics' Minnie McGrath and Ryan Hummel to discuss this trend. Obviously, the pandemic has been a massive accelerator of all things virtual, but this trend has been building for a while. What is really driving this change? Well, I don't think there is any disagreement, but that the pandemic really was the catalyst and the accelerator of things moving into a virtual model. And you mentioned this idea of uh, digital native, Jen, and I just think it's interesting because we've meant to describe that as the generation of people that really grew up in this era of kind of ubiquitous technology and digitization uh, with computers and the internet. And that's kind of their first language um, versus these digital immigrants or, or who have emigrated into this world. This past year from a healthcare perspective really pushed that envelope and kind of brought the gap a lot closer on that. And it paves the way for consumerism in this new world of virtualization. But, you know, it's interesting. We talk a lot about telehealth on this podcast and I think it's really important to kind of discern between kind of the definition of virtualization and telehealth. I think when we think about virtualization, it, there's several categories from a healthcare perspective that fall under that large umbrella, telehealth being one of them, you know, digital therapeutics or clinical trials is one of them as well. You know, you can put virtual care navigation in a subcategory as well. And then within those categories or even subcategories, you know, from a telehealth perspective, and we talk a lot about this as well, this idea of remote patient monitoring, which is really the enablement of collecting electronic personal records and then transmitting them virtually for a review by a provider or provider, meaning a nurse or a physician to really improve outcomes. So we're really seeing this great shift to virtualization very quickly. The question is, you know, um, will the honeymoon wear off as we kind of get over this horizon of the pandemic and people start being able to see things face to face? I think, you know, Mindy, you and I have spoken a lot about, will this come down to earth, this huge influx of virtual visits and virtual technology? Probably, but I think this will be here to stay for a while. I definitely think it's 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 part of the landscape. Um, and as Jen had mentioned, this trend has been in place for a while. I think what we've seen obviously is this acceleration and part of it was the what necessitated it. And now you have this whole group of individuals, right, that have had exposure to what a virtual telehealth visit feels like. And so I think the comfort level is also much higher than it was. Another part of what's really driving this, from my perspective at least, is the lifting of all the regulatory restrictions. So if you think about what was bogging telehealth down for a while, there was really some very tight restrictions in place that were lifted during the pandemic. And what, what also aligned with that is now you see coverage and reimbursement 
kind of catching up with what it should be for an inpatient visit during this emergency authorization period. So um, I think the regulatory aspect also is a key driver of why we've seen so much adoption of telehealth during this pandemic. There's a lot of talk, I think, across many channels that many payers such as CMS or any commercial payers may stop reimbursing for things like audio-only visits in coming months because there are concerns about the cost and quality of those visits. So we're going to have to stay very close to the headlines on that because when you look at you know, this COVID-19 barrage of telehealth visits and during the pandemic period, you know, I think I read somewhere that something like out of all visits, 50% or, or close to 50% of the primary care visits were done by phone alone. And only maybe three or 4% were done by video and the rest were done in person still. So, you know, a huge shift change in telehealth, but many of it, many of those visits were actually done telephonically only. So, you know, we'll have to see what CMS does in the coming months. Um, but many patients would be left stranded if we change that reimbursement. I think also, Ryan, we're talking about an infrastructure catch up as well. I mean, you think about broadband issues in rural communities and why it may actually be difficult to have a full telehealth visit. And that could be contributing to why we've seen so many um, interactions actually be phone-based only. So I do think that's an aspect of trying to catch up with this trend that really accelerated quickly is ensuring that the infrastructure for telehealth is appropriately paced and able to support a full video visit. There definitely has been this huge explosion in telehealth, uh, both necessitated and enabled by the pandemic. But Ryan touched on this earlier, virtualization is so much more than just telehealth. I'd love to talk about some of the most interesting examples you've seen of virtualization in the industry. There's so many interesting companies, uh, you know, just to name a few off the top of my head, there's companies called Dexcom that really do some really great stuff on remote patient monitoring regarding glucose. Uh, there's a company called Sensonics based in the mid-Atlantic that does a lot of remote patient monitoring for diabetes, diabetes patients. Um, and they, you know, include an implantable sector and sensor that's removable and helps connect diabetics with key outcomes with their provider. And the list goes on and on. AT&T is involved in remote patient monitoring devices and solutions. Medtronic, who is a big old company, um, and even big non-healthcare related traditional companies like Honeywell have had some spinoffs. Uh, but one thing that is, that is clear to me when you look at a lot of these remote patient monitoring or virtualization companies is they're really rallying around this idea of managing chronic illness, you know, pretty simple, but chronic conditions, diabetes, um, to name one of them and uh, glucose monitoring. I've mentioned a few of these companies already. Um, you know, there are large cost components of the healthcare system. And because one cannot see their doctor every single day, this idea of remote patient monitoring really helps bridge the gap of care around chronic conditions. And I really think is a, is a really fascinating sub market, um, that we're going to see more, um, of in the future. Yeah. Right. I think beyond just, um, 
being able to enable more touch points versus going in to see a physician, there are really true dividends of remote patient monitoring that have been found in terms of having a 40% reduction in hospital readmissions, looking at insurance providers um, for patient satisfaction ratings of 94 to 97%. I think this is definitely an intervention that has legs in the industry. One of the things that I'm really interested in learning more about is this idea of patient-generated health data, PGHD, which is really kind of works in combo with kind of these um, remote patient monitoring, the virtual visits, and it's gathered from patients or even the family members or caregivers um, to include some of this data and history and lifestyle choices at your fingertips. And that data, that kind of qualitative data mapped with more quantitative data around maybe blood glucose monitoring or blood pressure or A1C testing, then then create um, a really more holistic approach to managing health. And until then, until now, you know, those qualitative patient-driven information or data was really not done until you got to see your provider or had the virtual visit you know, once a month, once every two weeks, once a quarter. When you have this virtualization of healthcare, you can get that PGHD, that patient-generated health data real-time and can triangulate that with other modalities to increase outcomes and reduce things like readmissions, hospitalizations, or visits themselves. I think another area where we think about the application of virtual health is um, what we're seeing happening in life sciences around clinical trials and this decentralization of clinical trials. When you realize that nearly 70% of um, clinical trial participants actually live about two hours away from the site of the trial, you realize how a hybrid model that also incorporates a virtual aspect could really improve the um, the ability of clinical trials to maintain participant engagement in their clinical trial and um, just make sure that that retention remains high so that the trial remains viable. So I think that's an area that's been really interesting to see is this like shift into a more decentralized model. I don't think that is going to be the way of the world going forward with clinical trials, but I do think that what we're going to see is some sort of a hybrid model that incorporates a virtual aspect to it. And another area where we're seeing definitely some progression in terms of adopting a virtual model is with sales forces in the pharmaceutical industry. And what the, the pandemic has done over the last 12 years has necessitated a huge shift in terms of having feet on the street and in you know, practitioners' offices, and now moving to an e-model that looks different. Um, the interactions look different. And some recent surveys actually suggest that um, providers are feeling that they're actually getting more value from this interaction. They're learning more information. They're able to spend a little bit more time in a, a detail with a representative. So I think life sciences, there's always been this discomfort with pulling your sales force physically out of the marketplace. And now you've been presented with this situation where you had to pull your, your sales reps out of the marketplace. So I think there's an opportunity here to also think about this from a hybrid model. So it's not going to replace the sales force, but do virtual environments actually augment what you've traditionally done? And 
help you become more effective and maybe even increase your reach and frequency if you are a life sciences company thinking about how to maximize um, a Salesforce interaction. With all of this activity and momentum across sectors, I think it's fair to say that this drive toward virtualization isn't going away anytime soon. So what should healthcare leaders be thinking about in the wake of this trend? Yeah, Jen, I think there are probably several things that are on healthcare leaders' minds as they think about this idea of anything can become virtual <laughs> and you could make it virtual. But I think three main areas to consider are really around how do you take virtualization and turn it into part of your standard operating model? Where does it fit and how does it fit? And I think it's really important to think about how it might, um, how it might mature over time, but where do you start first in a way that feels logical and, and doable? I think the second piece that we're going to hear a lot about as this is probably on lawmakers' minds as well and on consumers' minds, and that is when you have a virtual interaction of any kind, how do you ensure that the information is secure and private? And so I think security and data privacy are going to be a big area of thoughtfulness for, for healthcare leaders. Um, you know, to, to kind of buttress up against that, I think another piece of this is when you think about some of these virtual interactions that are going on, whether it's telehealth, whether it's a, an e-sales call, whether it's patient monitoring data sets, how does all that information actually come together in one place? And where does it reside? Does it reside in an electronic health record? Does it reside in you know, a, a sales platform? So I think that's going to be part of it too, is really mapping out you know, where the data goes once that interaction takes place. And then the fourth thing I think is when you think about virtual, right, it comes with a whole lot of different ideas on how to engage with one another. And so I think training and support um, in terms of differentiating what an in-person interaction may feel like versus a virtual interaction is going to be important because that engagement model might look and feel very different when you're not in person and don't have that kind of three-dimensional aspect to it. Mindy, you mentioned the word mature earlier, and that leads me back to kind of operationalizing this to kind of a maturity model. And I think in March of last year, or even April or May, much of the healthcare world across all the sectors were thrust and thrusted into this virtualization. And my guess is they didn't really have the time nor the resources to build out the workflow and how to operationalize it and figure out what was working and what wasn't working. All of those things you do when you're trying to optimize processes. So I think you mentioned maturity because I think that'll be a key 2021 driving force to make these visits more effective and efficient and figure out what should stay and what should go. One of the benefits, right, of, of um, virtualization is just the ability to drive greater access and reachability into all parts of the country. I mean, not, you know, I think right now in this like non-virtual environment that we've been living in in healthcare for a long time, it has required a lot of um, physically being in certain areas of the country in order to have 
in-person interactions. And what virtual does is really allow you to to stratify, you know, across the country. It allows you to really think about how you extend your reach and frequency with different interactions. Health systems have traditionally honored the service area of the region for a long time. And those days are going to be gone, I think, as the virtualization of healthcare enables providers to reach folks outside of their traditional service areas. I think also talking about expanding access goes beyond geography, right? Thinking about not only what a new take on this regional model might look like, but a new take on the traditional service model by changing the flexibility that is possible through a virtual or a hybrid model. Are we able to reach new patient populations that we might not have uh, who might have been not inclined to go into the physician's office or might have jobs that prohibit them from visiting during business hours and are deterred by the high cost of urgent care. I think there are a lot of interesting access opportunities beyond geography as well that virtualization really helps open up. And the other thing, Jen, I would mention that we didn't talk a little bit about is, you know, the opportunity with mental health. And, you know, I think we talk about this a lot, the shortage in the U.S. and the federal government survey estimates that there is a huge shortage of mental health providers across many geographic areas in the United States. And what an amazing thing virtualization and telehealth can do to serve um, the, and fill these gaps. And, you know, we know that primary care also has the gap and we're, we're seeing that come to fruition and fill, and fill these opportunities. We also know that mental health is a problem in the United States and to help fulfill some of these facilities and populations such as prisons or, or homes across the United States, the virtualization of healthcare should really start to uh, produce dividends and, and better outcomes for patients. Yeah, I think, Brian, another, you mentioned this whole idea of filling gaps. I think one of the things that's going to be really important to the I think ongoing sustainability of virtualization, too, is going to be something that we've talked about, which is payment parity, right? So right now, the payment parity is there. It's going to be incumbent upon policymakers to decide whether they're going to maintain some of those payment parity policies um, and extend them for the foreseeable future uh, to make sure that that organizations that want to adopt any sort of virtual model feel that they're being made whole um, and don't feel like they have to, you know, I guess short circuit or shortcut what they're doing because of the reimbursement model. Thanks, Minnie and Ryan. I think there are a lot of really interesting issues and entanglements we'll see the industry work through this year as they pivot from that immediate urgency of virtualization to more of a BAU model for what this could look like. I'm excited to see how it all unfolds. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Trending Health. For links to resources discussed in the episode, to subscribe to the Trending Health podcast, and to explore if Dynamic can help your company manage ongoing healthcare industry change, visit trendinghealth.com. Tune into the next episode where we look forward to providing you with more insights on the healthcare industry.